Okay, what up, folks? And welcome to another episode of In the Area Podcast. Ba 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 ba. Today I am with Julia Ann Briggs. No e at the end of Ann. Julia and I lived together our senior year in college. That's where we first became friends, and we we lived in Ghost House together. Shout out Ghost House. Ghost House. Julia is the artist behind the podcast art for In the Area, the mastermind of the Worms. That I am, Worms. And Julia also just finished two years at a Buddhist temple. In Northern California. Can you talk a little bit about what you were doing these past two years? Yeah. Uh, so I lived at um, this small monastic community in Northern California. I was a bronze foundry artist. So I, my role there was basically to build Buddhist sculptures. Um, yeah. I worked for a Tibetan lama. Um, I can tell you about his history if you'd like. Please. Okay. So Tartang Tolku Rinpoche, he came over from Tibet in the 50s after communist China invaded. And so um, his, I guess like, so China came in and they destroyed a lot of the sacred texts and artwork. A lot of Tibetan culture was destroyed in this movement. Um, And so... When Rinpoche came to America, he started Dharma Publishing, which is a text preservation publishing company. And then he published his own teachings and started the Odeon organization, which is where I had worked. Mm. Yeah. And what were you doing primarily when you were there? Um, so my crew, there's different crews at Odeon. And um, I guess I should say also Odeon is the heart of the organization, but there's also institutions all over the world, like in Germany, the Netherlands, two in Brazil. Um, and so a lot of different people were at Odeon. Um, and the Lama himself lived at Odeon as well. So my crew at Odeon was the foundry. And I love the foundry. I love my crew and I miss them. Um but there were there were like construction crews or the text preservation crew, but all of everybody's goal, I think, like this is what I got from it. Um, our goal was to preserve Tibetan culture, was to help Buddhism stay alive, flourish, and specifically Tibetan Buddhism. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what were your reasons for for going? So, um, my reasons for going, so when I saw it online, they were advertising for a farming position and I didn't have any concrete, uh, concrete plans after college. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, (laughs) I'll call up and volunteer. Um, and when I called up and they heard about my history in studio art, they were like, oh, would you be willing to work at our bronze foundry? And I'm like, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. I found that to be very auspicious later on that that happened that way. Um, and so, yeah, that's where it began. In in college, I was a studio art major. My focus was in painting. I also did a lot of sculpture, but not with metal. I had, I had welded briefly in college, but um, it was Odeon when I got to learn, like, TIG and MIG and different machines and pouring metal, basically. I, I 
started working with metal at Odeon. And and your goal initially was to learn how to do art better, right? Work in a foundry. Yeah, yeah. My my goal getting there was learn this art form. That's it. I want to learn how to work metal. I want to learn the machines. I want to know the in and outs of this art form. And so it was all art for me. Um, and it continued to be, but it kind of transformed while I was there. Um, I suppose like the more I stayed at Odeon, the more I learned, um, it kind of shifted to the spirituality of creation, making art. Like, what am I creating for? I don't want it to be for ego. I want it to be something meaningful, honest, relatable, something that when you look at it, it will help you gain something, you know, rather than just someone's, rather just my own, rather than just my own like ego spit, <laughs> you know? Wow. And so you be, you got, you began to get influenced by the artwork that you were looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to figure out where all this energy was coming from. Cause you could feel the energy that was getting poured into it. And so as you sought to understand it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like sacred art, has a different quality of energy for it in it. And um, that's kind of what I ended up seeking um, after I stayed there. I had signed on to Odeon for a six-month contract, and I ended up staying for two years. And people there have stayed much longer than me. (laughs) But um, I'm so glad that I didn't leave after six months because – I learned so much about art. Like what what is what is actually art? What is creating? It has more religion in it than I ever thought there would be. And um people you don't have uh people no one has to believe in God or like no one has to be attached to a religion to be religious. And art in itself is an act of spirituality. It's contacting, expressing this thing in each of us. Wow. And you guys had a lot of very interesting traditions while you were there. Uh, those You shared with me some chants that oh, you guys would do. Do you mind bringing some of those onto the podcast, some of those yeah, chants? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I can – these are very helpful. Um, there's a long tradition in Buddhism about like – repetition, memorization, and chanting. And so we would chant mantras like 108 times. 108 is a very auspicious number, so we would do that um, sequence a bunch. Um, So I guess uh, I can tell you about the mantra of compassion, of wisdom, and then I can tell you about Padmasambhava, perhaps. Please. Okay, so... um, the mantra of compassion is Avalokiteshvara's mantra. Avalokiteshvara is a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva means one who has reached enlightenment but chooses to come back to help other beings. And so Avalokiteshvara, mostly depicted with a thousand arms and um, like a thousand heads, and um, each of those arms and heads has, has a meaning to it. But um, so Avalokiteshvara's mantra is 
Omani Padme Humri. Omani Padme Humri. And we would say that 108 times or just throughout the day or once or just whenever. I um, I got into the habit of saying it whenever I saw a creature that was in pain or dead. Uh, driving in my car, if I see roadkill, I would say, Omani Padme Humri. Um, and um, yeah, just kind of like a little, it's a little um, seed of compassion. Um, it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be religious or, you know, bring any of that sort of thing in it, into it, but saying the words or the thought of having compassion for a fallen sentient being is just enough. And so my habit of saying Omani Padme Humri was no different than just thinking that, oh, this creature died and I feel for that. Mm-hmm. And you guys would recite that after dinner? Yeah. So at the end of every day, um, our meals were silent except for lunch. Um, and so we would say our prayers, um, eat in silence. And at the end of the day at dinner, we would do this. And when we f- were finished eating, we would say Omani Padme Humri 108 times for all the beans that we may have stepped on, <laughs> that we may have mowed during our lawn work or, or eaten accidentally in a salad. We would say Omani Padme Humri and just Keep in mind, like, your family or, like, whoever you wanted to, yourself, compassion. Mm. And you said there was another chant that you were going to share that was the chant for wisdom? Yeah. What is that one? I feel like you like you would <laughs> like this one. <laughs> this is um, this is the mantra for wisdom. It's Manjushri's mantra. Manjushri is the bodhisattva of wisdom and cutting through duality. <laughs> so we were talking— Schiller and I were talking a lot about duality earlier and how everything kind of has this double side to it. Like when you want something, you kind of also like don't want it. Like when someone's apologizing to you, like you want their apology, but you like want to stay mad at them (laughs) because, yeah. But anyway, so this is the mantra of wisdom. Omara patsana di. And what we like to do at Odeon is Omara Patsana di 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 di. So um, this mantra is very powerful. Um, I did not resonate with this mantra when I first heard it. I reson I resonated more with compassion, Oma Omani Padme Humri. But later on, because um, it felt like very harsh to me, Omara Patsana di. It was like you know very harsh but now i see that like it's unifying it's not it's not slicing it's um it's combining the nature of duality that is in everything into one thing it's unity wisdom wisdom that there is a duality but there isn't a difference mm. it's very difficult to like wrap Different, my head around yeah. but or explain i i have to say like I'm not the best one to talk about these concepts. Um, and so disclaimer, this is from what I what I get from this. Absolutely. Um, that's, yeah, that's the honest thing I have to say. I, I'm not the best one to explain. 
but these are experiences that have a deep impact on you and and you're drawing from these experiences to share with us. There's yeah. there's one more chant that you were going to share with us. Yeah, okay. So, um this one. This one Oma hum Bajra Guru Padma City hum. This is the mantra um of Padma Sambhava. And so Padma Sambhava has this whole story and I'll tell you a little bit about it because it's extremely influential for Tibetan Buddhism. There would not be Tibetan Buddhism without Padmasambhava. So um, right before Padmasambhava came to Tibet, Trisong Detson was the king. He, um, he ruled over Tibet, and Tibet at that time was uh, affiliated with the Bon religion. Bon is um, this old religion that uh, made human sacrifices. There were many wrathful deities, demons, um, gods. This, it's kind of like, I don't know too much about it, but I know that there were human sacrifices and many demons. And so Trisong Detson, he wanted to bring the Dharma, the Dharma being the teachings of Buddhism, to Tibet to bring compassion to the people in the land. And he knew of this guy in India, Padmasambhava. So Buddhism came from Hinduism in India. And um, Padmasambhava was there at a time, at that time. And Trisong Detson called to him. Padmasambhava came over and he quelled the demons of the Bon religion, brought peace and prosperity and um, Buddhism to the land of Tibet. And that's how it began. So um, I kind of like to think that the Bon religion, the good things about that religion stayed with the people, and that's why Tibetan Buddhism is kind of like has all these different creatures and spiritual beings and uh, mystical elements. Mi very mystical, yeah. Wow, so cool, Julia. Mm -hmm. And I just think talking to you now, I can sense this new awareness inside <laughs> you you know, living together, you know, in ghost house. So that the thing it's it definitely has had a major impact on your life. Oh, thank you. I do hope. <laughs> but Do you mind sharing some of the things that you hope to continue doing and the practices that you hope to continue doing throughout your life? Yeah. Um, I, I hope I bring all of the good things I've learned from Odeon with me. Um, there are so many good things about Odeon. I didn't know about Buddhism really much at all before I went there. Um, and it's less about the religion. It's about the philosophy, the psychology, and the way that I could live my life, you know, lessen my suffering, <laughs> lessen other people's. Um, and so, yeah, I think some of the key things I want to bring with me is compassion and honesty. Um, these are two crucial elements for me. I, I want to live my life honestly. And no matter what I say or do, it's going to be hypocritical. Everyone is hypocritical. Everyone is a hypocrite. <laughs> There's no way you're not going to be because we're changing all the time. But at least if I'm honest about that, that's that's it. Like, that's all I need is just to be honest and like see myself and my emotion, emotionality clearly. I'm not perfect. And 
if I use these tools, if I use this all, all this mud that I have and emotionality, I, I can transform it into strengths. And that will lead to compassion. <laughs> mm, compassion being empathy. Yeah, empathy. Yeah, I think that's what you were about to say. <laughs> yeah, it, I want to. I want to be compassionate, and I, it starts kind of with myself. Like I'm very hard on myself. Um, uh, but Odeon has taught me to have compassion for myself. It's still a learning experience. I'm. I'm like. I'm like nowhere closer than anybody else in the world. But maybe I have some more wisdom to bring joy. And, like, just take care of myself like I'm my own child. You know, if I <laughs> I get I get choked up in social situations sometimes. <laughs> and if I can just, like, if I can just, like, hold my own hand and be like, you know, it's okay. Like, <laughs> we're in this together <laughs> sort of thing. It's kind of cheesy, but um, it's, it's nice to, like, be soft towards myself. Mm. And I think that's important because sometimes we can have such critical inner dialogue. We are sometimes our own worst critics. And last night, Julia was just talking to herself, saying kind things. And I think that, (laughs) I think that just that, even that practice, like getting in the habit of being gentle with yourself, being kind is just so healthy. It's just, yeah, so positive. (laughs) Can we, so can we rewind a little bit? Um, Because you are such a talented artist. I love your art. Julia actually just painted me this. Amazing painting. I'm looking at it right now. It's these worms, like in this crazy situation, on top of this rock, bouncing on a bolt on a massive mountain, pretty much. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about your history as an artist? Have you always identified as an artist? Um, no, I haven't. I guess, like, yeah, it's it's very hard to say, like, when I started. But um, my my dad was. Or he's always been huge into art. That's not how he makes his living, but um, he did teach me how to paint when I was younger. I started with watercolors or, you know, carving pumpkins, <laughs> sketching on the plane. And then, um, yeah, it. Um, I guess I didn't ever think that that would be what I would grow up to become. And so um, I didn't think about that in my academic life until my senior year of high school, which is when I took my first painting class in school. And then from there, it stuck with me, and I became an art major. I had floundered kind of between. I got accepted to DePaul with an honors in communication. Um, I was a media fellow, so I thought, like, I should stick with (laughs) this sort of side, you know, be successful in this way that I'm like taught is success, you know. Um, but I got stuck up on philosophy and on art. And so I just went that direction. And I think I had a lot of help from friends at that time. And my advisor in college, John Barry. Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. It was a good conversation we had and it totally convinced me. It made me more confident to be just being confident and this is the path I want to do. This is what I'm good at. This is what makes me feel clean, you know? Wow. And can you talk a little bit about the worms? Cause I absolutely yeah. love your worms. <laughs> They're a motif that show up in a lot of your paintings. They were always around the house. You made sculptures of them. Uh, what are the worms to you? Oh my God. The worms, I guess like 
uh, this podcast of yours, how you've, you know, adopted my worms as your, your theme is really, really, I don't know. I don't have a word for it. Words are so hard. They have like all these different, I don't know. They, they don't, they don't express. They don't fully capture that feeling. They don't express what I feel. Yeah. But I feel like it, it works well with your podcast because my worms are our community. It is the human condition. I suppose um, in this painting that I have for you, they're on this balanced rock and they're kind of in this impossible situation. It seems like they're trying to get down, but how did they get up there, you know? Um, and I think it's all it's all point of view. Like you, you climb up on top of this rock without thinking about how you're going to get down. And so they're all up there together and they're just trying with each other to get down. And um, and so I can tell you about like the worms as a character, and maybe this will help paint the picture <laughs> of, <laughs> of what I'm trying to express here. So I suppose background, I I want my art to be have like an element that is relatable to everyone. And I was a portrait artist or still am. Um, but it's very difficult choosing who to paint. And so, because I don't want to talk about anybody that I don't know, or it's just out of my ability to speak on someone else's experience. And so it was a huge struggle for me and like knowing who to paint and which led me to just painting a lot of self-portraits. And, um, but even that, it was kind of like too much ego was involved there. And I kept second guessing, like, I just didn't feel right, like painting myself all the time. My senior project in school was self-portraits. And I tried hard to make it relatable, like blend blend myself into the environment so that it would be a unifying canvas, like something more relatable. But um, it didn't hit the mark for me. And I think the worms do a better job. The worms are human, but they're all they're all painted as worms. They have the expressions of humans, and they could be all from different backgrounds, different types of people, but like at the core of it all, they're all of the same. They're they have the same human condition at the baseline, and um, I think in my pictures, they like they have these situations where it kind of seems like impossible how they got there, impossible to like get out, but they're kind of like in it together, you know. Wow. So beautiful. And I, I just love that that is what the worms represent because that is exactly what I'm shooting for with this podcast. Because when you start asking people about their stories and you asking them questions, it reveals how similar we all are. We all, we all, things are so relatable because the human condition is, is such a familiar experience. We all experience yeah. these similar moments. So I love that the worms are just this unifying force. They're always trying to work together out of this, what appears to be a hopeless situation. In this painting that I'm looking at, I, I, I believe deeply that these worms will eventually figure out that they just need to work together on one side of the rock and that then they'll all get down. They're trying to split up the work here. So I know how, I'll talk to the worms later on after this podcast, <laughs> tell them how to get 
down. Yeah, thanks. You should tell them how to get down. I'll tell. I'll tell them. I'll tell them how to get down because I know. I know you how know? to get. I know how to get. Can if I was in there, me? I would be getting down. Yeah, and I'll show you. I'll use a little pinpointer, laser pointer. Oh, like- but the worms. Oh man, I love. I've. I freaking love these worms. We are worms. We are all worms. Digging for these nuggets of wisdom. You heard to hear from Julia. Digging through the mud. Trying to find the truth, trying to find the knowledge, trying to find these little nugget bombs. Julia, you're dropping yeah. nugget bombs after nugget bombs. So keep your ears open, guys, because they're just they're flying in. Uh, so, it's all secondhand. I've learned it from else, but that's how we get our information. Share it. We share, <laughs> we share it. We share. put it out there. Yeah, wisdom is shared. Wisdom is shared. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'll think about that one too. <laughs> but Julia, before we before we leave this topic, you shared a story with me earlier today about what the rocks represent in your paintings. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, uh, this is fun because it takes me back to when I first learned of Camus. And so Camus is an existentialist philosopher, um, and he wrote this terrific piece on the myth of Sisyphus. So the mis- myth of Sisyphus is basically, in summation— Sisyphus pissed off the gods and was condemned to this eternity of pushing a rock up a mountain just to have it fall back down and him do it again. And so um, I I really resonate with this because I got these rocks (laughs) too. I have like, I have rocks, I have baggage, I have terrible emotionality um, and I'm pushing it up the mountain, you know? And it, it'll stick with me my entire life. Um, so, yeah, myth of Sisyphus, Camus. Camus spun this myth to say that Sisyphus is actually happy to do this. If, his, if he is condemned to this existence of pushing his rock up the mountain, then there's no other way but to be happy about it. Otherwise, you will be miserable for eternity. Um, and so this hit me because I got all these rocks too. And I'm like, oh, if only I don't have this one quality of myself. If only I wasn't this way. If only I didn't have this to worry about. But I do have all these things and I can't get rid of them. And I guess like the path of spirituality is knowing that you can't get rid of your mud, you know? You can't get rid of your rocks. So it's transforming. Like myth of, or myth of Sisyphus, Sisyphus transformed his, his existence from suffering into strength. He's pushing up this rock, and perhaps he's thinking, like, when I'm pushing up this rock, it's going to make me stronger, you know? Wow. And so, yeah, I think about that and the things that I have, the baggage that I have, and I can transform it too. I can I can make myself stronger from this baggage, these qualities that I have. And they show up, so these rocks, when they show up in your artwork, this this is in the back of your head? This is, yeah, I guess so. Because, yeah, rocks keep on showing up. Um, and I love... The myth of Sisyphus, Camus' take on it. And um, and so, like, rocks show up a lot in my paintings, and it's just 
again, like a reiteration of the impossibility of this situation that we're all in. Like, how how can we find joy with all of these rocks? These rocks being our, you know, baggage. But there is a way. I know I know that there's a way. <laughs> but uh another thing uh, I just wanted to touch on briefly um was Ghost House because I think that was something really cool that we collaborated on mm-hmm. and that was a really special space. So I've talked about this in a prior podcast, but Julia and I collaborated on a space. Julia basically turned our living room into a theater. And every Thursday night at nine, we'd invite the entire school over to come view view these like theater productions. And people would bring poetry. People would play music. It was just like, it was just this atmosphere. And I remember at one point, I was like, you know, people from the school were coming over and some people from town, like just the town of Greencastle yeah. just came over too. And I was like, what? So all these different people, it was like huge mod podge of people, anybody. And that's, that's, that I think was the beautiful element of it. And it was really special. It special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just got to, got to put the shout out in there. Ghost house. Shout out. Ghost, Ghost house. house. Shout out to everyone who lived there to make that space so wonderful. And I think you're doing that again with this podcast, Schiller. I think so. Like everything that you want from Ghost House is what you're bringing to this podcast. I think it's very cool. Well, thank you, Julia. That that certainly is a goal to to be a, to be a force of unity to to help bring people together. So if, if my podcast does that even just a little bit, yeah. I'll, I'll feel like the, I'll feel like you know on top of a hill. Yeah, voila, voila, voila. <laughs> okay, Julia. So something new that I brought onto the podcast. It's the hardest question to throw at someone from the book, and I'm going to bring. I'm going to ask you now. What is the meaning of life? Oh gosh, the meaning of life. I'm not qualified to say. <laughs> I think, um, man, I, I suppose my meaning, my meaning of life, um, is compassion and honesty. I want, I want to be honest. I want to be compassionate. I want people to feel that too. I want to learn and as much as I can, um, not, not, uh, not perpetuate suffering. I don't want to suffer. <laughs> I don't want anybody else to suffer. Um, and I think compassion and honesty can heal those things. Well, that's beautiful, Julia. <laughs> and one, one talent of yours that I love huh. is your mouth trumpet. I don't even know how else to explain Ooh. it, but I want you to play it. Can you please play a little bit for us? Julia knows how to play the trumpet. Out of her mouth. It's crazy. I've never heard this instrument before. Okay. Yeah. Can you just share a little tune yeah. for us?
Oh, I love that so much. Oh, my gosh. That'd be amazing to get a full band of all just mouth instruments. I don't know any other <laughs> instrument that people can play. Yeah. Here, oh, okay. And another thing that I think would be fun. And someone what? suggested this. A friend suggested this. Oh, gosh. That we create a song that we use for the intro Ooh. of the next podcast. And then, like, it's, it becomes, like, this cascade oh. of, like, everyone at the end, tries, we make a song, and it'll go in the next episode. Okay. So you want to do this right now? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. One. <laughs> oh, you're leading. In the area, in, in the area. In the area. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Oh, that was really good. That was really good. That was so good. All right. Well, thank you, Julia, so much for coming out of the podcast. Dropping all your nugget bombs on us. And uh, if you guys want to check out Julia's art, you have an Instagram art yeah. channel, right? Do you mind sharing that? Okay. Um, my handle is at Julia A. Briggs. So J-U-L-I-A-A-B-R-I-G-G-S. And if you guys enjoyed this content, make sure to give us a like and subscribe. It puts us on different playlists. And stay tuned next week for the next Nugget Bomb on In the Area podcast. Ba-boing. Ba-boing.